Welcome back, all you horror fans, to Week in Horror, April 5th through April 11th. But thank you all so much for joining us. I'm JL, and with me today are Alex and Eugene. Hey, what's happening? What's up, everybody? So, it's crazy, obviously, the things that are going on out there today. Um, I know, I, I know, I'm not uh, currently under quarantine, and um, I'm exempt from the stay-at-home order because uh, my day job has me as essential personnel. You're uh, essential. I am essential. <laughs> um, what about? And I know so, but I mean, it's it's creepy out there. It's quiet. I leave in the morning, and I see no traffic, and. You know, it only takes me like 20 minutes to get home from work, which is insane when normally it takes me like an hour. Um, but yeah, uh, shit, you're on the Dallas side. It's probably real quiet over there. Yeah, it's it's the, the creepiest thing is the birds in the morning. I've never been so aware of them <laughs> because like the, the, the background buzz of traffic off of 75 Central is just is just not there. So, but what about you guys? What's what's going on in your worlds? In your isolation worlds? Uh, it's been, uh, luckily I'm able to, (laughs) uh, luckily I'm able, I'm able to work from home. Um, but you know, with like cut hours and everything like that, I mean, this is definitely, uh, it's hit me and definitely my girlfriend pretty hard financially kind of thing. Um, you know, cause you got people getting laid off here and there and, uh, both her and I work in, you know, the entertainment industry. And so with the entertainment industry taking a hit, you know, you you can't people who work in concerts, you can't pay people who work in concerts. There are no concerts kind of thing. So um, it's definitely been difficult, like, you know, financially. But, you know, we're going to power through. I'm able to work a little bit and stuff like that. And you know what? It gives more time to work on the podcast. This is true. <laughs> true. Excellent. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite end of things with school being out and the kids and everything, you know, being home and. Uh, my line of work, I I work as a handyman, and so I would go into people's houses, and now people just don't want me in their house, obviously, and I don't want to go into their houses. You know, I do a lot of work for older people, so it's like, you know, you don't want to be messing these people up, so a lot of my work has moved to just outside work, which is fine, because I get to work outside and stuff, but, you know, it cuts a lot of of my stuff out plus having to having to deal with <laughs> having to deal with the kids the fucking kids no <laughs> but having you know having the kids home too and so it's like it, it's it's a it's like almost more work than not being in quarantine because i've got to focus a lot more on what's going on and then you know you got everybody making dishes all day and laundry all day it's just you don't realize how much time those kids spend in school you know you how how into like that routine you get and then having to just completely adjust to something completely different has been, it's been kind of crazy. But I mean, like I, I have a positive outlook on the whole thing. I kind of have to, my, my mom, my sister and my fiance all work in the health industry. And so I'm constantly worrying about all them. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of crazy, but it also, I mean, it's kind of nice that, that everybody's kind of starting to band together now. Everybody's like, okay, you know, like let's follow the rules and you got people out there kind of, looking out for each other so it's it's insane this is nuts this is something that's going to go down in history another thing in our lives that goes down in history history it's crazy out there um well i mean it's not really crazy out there but i mean we don't know how far it's going to go we do know i know here in texas they just shut down the borders to the other states so 
the state is effectively quarantined. They had state troopers um, all over the place. We had a, a person who was supposed to be uh, coming into Texas from Mississippi to move into uh, our apartment complex. They were traveling. They, they had rented from out of state, and they were coming in, and they hit the border to Texas, and state troopers turned them around. They said they, that they can't couldn't come let from that way. That they yeah they couldn't they wouldn't let them in. So they actually had to. I think they're I don't know if they're rescheduling or they just had to flat cancel it. It's weird, but uh, yeah, it's we nice. got that. Yeah, we got that going on, and uh, Governor Abbott finally issued a full-on stay-at-home order for the state of Texas. Um, took him forever; he dragged his feet. Uh, but uh, I mean, he followed suit as well. Yeah, you know, basically, he taught you know, Collin County toddles after Dallas is pretty much how it goes. But uh, you know, the the one thing I think we can focus on here at Week in Horror is we focus on the listeners, and we ensure we do our best to make the best show that we can and entertain y'all and maybe inform a little bit. Um, especially you filmmakers who I know y'all have time to listen to the show and which we, <laughs> we greatly appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, everyone's continued support. I, I find myself thanking the, the listeners so much. I'm like blasting out on social media and everything, but it just keeps coming back that we wouldn't be able to do this without our listeners. And if we didn't have an audience, you know, we just be sitting here, you know, talking <laughs> to ourselves, which, I do that well <laughs> throughout quarantine so far. So yeah, we might as well go to IHOP and drink coffee and do that. Like a bunch <laughs> of really sad nerds. But IHOP is closed, uh, bro. <laughs> but they're all closed now. So <laughs> so yeah. So it's pretty much this. Uh, this is where we're at. This is where we're at. So in these, I um, I like to I like to try to focus on the positive and say that we're you know like Alex is right. We there are examples of people banding together, finally you know really taking this seriously. Finally, trying to lock this down um, before things get way too extreme. Um, I know California is currently using drones to ensure people don't violate quarantine, don't go out on the streets, and that uh, some other gov- uh, some other governor says that they're they're anybody they catch out will they'll be prosecuting. Um, so they'll arrest and prosecute on site for people who violate quarantine orders. So you know, hopefully, this thing will resolve itself, or uh, we'll get it resolved. Who knows? But uh, as long as we're all stuck inside, we can listen to podcasts and try and have a good time. All right. Here's, here's my piece real quick. We, we care about our listeners. We care about everybody. I mean, most people. There's some shitty people like, you know, you know, but we care about most people that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> and we want you guys to be safe. So stay inside. Wash your fucking hands. Stop touching shit. Six feet apart. Follow it. Get it done. Because I don't need fucking the national guard marching down my fucking street so if everybody could just do us a favor stay home we've got some backlog shit you can listen to do your part there's people out there that are still saying like this isn't a big deal and because those people are saying that they're estimating 240,000 people are going to be dead in the united states so like let's not be one of those people yeah we'd like you to come back and listen send us emails yeah, definitely. Interact with us. Let us know that you're okay. Um, you know, we're spending a lot of time at home, too. I know that some people out there, it's driving them crazy and everything like that. You know, this is now is a time to catch up on things that you've always said you didn't have enough time. When you're like, oh, well, I don't have enough time to watch that series or to watch that movie that everybody keeps recommending or anything like that. Well, so, you know, now you got time. You know, and then just throw a podcast listen in between those horror films you're catching up on. 
self-care. Go back to your, your horror roots. Exactly. Rewatch the ones you love and then watch some new ones out there. You got horror movies that are coming out all the time. There's so many, it's impossible to watch them all. But you know what? You can talk to us, talk to your friends, and find out, you know, the ones that you want to see, and then go out and watch them. I have no doubt that we've covered probably covered a you know, at least 20, 30 films that I know we've done over we've covered over a hundred films in our in our episodes, so there's plenty in the backlog. I mean, play you go back and listen to any episode, you can find some obscure horror film that we thought was fucking great. <laughs> some weird watch, ass shit. You can watch the shit out of that because at least the VOD is still up. So there's plenty of stuff on Amazon, plenty of stuff on YouTube, plenty of stuff on Hulu and YouTube and uh and uh, Netflix. Netflix, dude, they just came out with uh there's a it's called The Girl with All the Powers. I started watching that. That's really good. And then uh, the platform. I just started watching that too. That's good. I heard about that. Somebody somebody recommended the platform to me. It's yeah. It's climbing up on the. the it's, I think it's the number four right now on Netflix. Interesting. I'll nice. check that out. That's a good one. All right. Well, um, enough with since we're not a medical since we are not a medical show. <laughs> and enough with the actual apocalyptic horror that's going on around us. Let's get to some yes. fake shit. I wish we had some more. <laughs> wish we had you know better uh, weekly anecdotes. But we will kick it in. We'll kick it in gear. And uh, Eugene is going to start our look back at the horror genre for this week. Uh, what do you have for us, Eugene? All right, well, in the first movie, we're not going to actually go too far back. So it was actually released April 5th in 2013, right? So only just a couple of years ago. But we have this remake of Evil Dead. Fucking sweet. <laughs> would, we, would we call that a remake? Well, it, it's... I don't know. Is it a remake, a remake or a continuation? Or a huh? or, or I, continu- I heard continuation. Continuation? Yeah, like I can, it's kind of like you could add it into the story. It's just an as it's just a story involving the ne- Necronomicon at the cabin that doesn't involve Ash. It's a parallel universe. Well, I figured I figured it'd be like the same universe, but it's it's like the same same situation. It's just different people come in, but it's not like a like a reboot or anything like that. Yeah, there's so many deals. I think they just class. They, I think uh, the director. I think he classified it as a as a continuation, sort of just yeah, continuing adventures of you know people stupid enough to read the Necronomicon. <laughs> <laughs> Why do read they the keep book. doing it? <laughs> You've seen Cabin in the Woods. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, so, just watch the Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> such a good movie. <laughs> such a good movie. Um, so, you know, directed by Fide Alvarez, right, produced by Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, right, and starring Jane Levy, Shiloh Fernandez, Fernandez, Shiloh Fernandez, right, <laughs> Fernandez, I was working Close on enough. this too, working one day, right, one day, <laughs> and Lou Taylor, Pucky? Pucci. Poochie? All right. Poochie. 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 One of these days, one of these days we're going to have a guest on and he'll be like, yeah, you talked about a movie and you butchered my name. (laughs) You're just going to hear, doo doo. (laughs) Well, guys, it was nice knowing y'all. I wish y'all the best of luck. (laughs) 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 But, you know, basically, um, for those who are not familiar with the Evil Dead franchise, Right, it's you kind of get the standard, you know, the group of 
teen or more of a group of kind of like early 20s. They go to a cabin out in the woods by themselves and they find this book bound in human flesh and they read out of it and unleash like this de demonic force that starts manipulating things around them and can start possessing people and all other kinds of stuff that kind of happens. Like I said, continuing adventures of people stupid enough to read the fucking Necronomicon. <laughs> that's, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> speaking, speaking of which, I, uh, for those who don't know, our giveaway is currently going on. A Necronomicon stash box is one of the prizes in our big giveaway. It's super Check dope. It out. Check it out on our uh, social media for the reveal of it. But anyway, sorry, that was a side note. No, that's fine. <laughs> and, and when you get it in the mail, make sure you read from it. Right. <laughs> Or I don't. Admit, I mean, we could use a new movie, so. Now, I gotta admit, this, I was I was torn before when I heard that when they had announced it, that they were going back after this one. In a world of fucking remakes, where. <laughs> in a world not, of shitty remakes. In a world of, <laughs> in a world of shitty remakes. But. One with, man takes know, a high-stake gamble. <laughs> with the failure of Nightmare on Elm Street. And, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, nice. not as a terror movie, I was, as, a, as a failure to attract an audience. Because it just wasn't successful. And I, I attribute that to there being no Robert Anglin in that. Robert Anglin is Freddy. You know, much love to... Um, I can't even remember his name. That <laughs> guy. <laughs> It'll come to me in a second. But much love okay. to him for... Um, for his work, I know he played Rorschach. He he was in RoboCop and shit like this, but um, but it just wasn't Robert England. And then of course, yo Nightmare, and then Friday the Thirteenth. That reboot really did just it, it made money, but it just didn't continue anything because it didn't make enough money to justify it. And it's pretty crazy for a Friday the Thirteenth movie to not make enough money to justify a sequel because that's what they're all about. But that's what happens when you do things like change Jason's backstory and stuff like that. So. Key elements, you know, they remake it, they try to, they try to update it or make it, you know, make it their own, and it just doesn't pass. But so, yeah, uh, I was a little, I, what's the word? Uh, there was some trepidation going into this when they announced. It was a bit weary. Yes, I yeah. mean the thing that the thing that kept me on was the fact that the the original team was producing it. Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert were all behind the film, and they all, and plus uh, Alvarez. Um, they, they just talked him up and he has a vision you know we watched his short film um, that proved that he really does have a grasp at, at you know at, at capturing uh, or basically I would say creating a scene but mm -hmm. um, you know the the fact that the original guys were on all of them were on they all wrote you know they all signed off on it and I was like okay that that you know that makes it but man this was a gamble it was definitely a gamble and you take something so like iconic like evil dead and you're like we're gonna do it again it's, it's like that meme that's going around like i'll fucking do it again like <laughs> and they fucking went for it and i mean like you said you had your your trepidations you know i was a bit weary going into the whole thing too but then you get through the first scene you're like oh yeah no this is gonna be good and oh <laughs> yeah i watched yeah. that and that that I was I was mouth I was jaw on the floor, <laughs> jaw on the floor after I saw that shit. It was gonna and be like it. You were looking at it. It was like watching the original movie. It was just a different story. It was like wait wait wait. This it looked it looked almost exactly the same. They played that camera work and everything. I was like holy shit, they did it. And then it sucks you in for the whole movie. So they like you oh, said, yeah. they they took a gamble on this one, but 
it paid off. You know, it's you got a world of shitty, shitty remakes. People run out of stuff to do and they try to knock out shit remakes, but then, I mean, you get stuff like this and it kind of brings well, okay. hopes. It's kind of like, you know, Nick Cage, you know, a, a whole bunch of like, uh, and then you get you get some gold ones. You know, if you take enough movies, you're eventually going to land a solid one. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You, you get enough remakes, you, you, you know, you churn up enough remakes, eventually you're going to find a director and, you know, who believes in the product and in the IP and wants to do something really amazing with it and has a really distinct vision that the original creators all believe in. And I think with that kind of support behind him, he knew he could go carte blanche. And it's like I said, it's always a gamble going after a remake because, uh, I mean, you not you know, like, what's the other one that was all, uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, remake of My Bloody Valentine, and it fucking struck gold. And uh, you know, because he's a minor, get it? Oh, <laughs> uh, go to sleep. <laughs> but you know, occasionally you do you do hit one, you know. But it's like um, I would say that the new Howling that came out, uh, the Howling Reborn or whatever it was, the the new one that you know the kids in high school, but that one just did not. And I kind of saw that as kind of like a reimagining of the of the Howling franchise they wanted to start it again and that just went nowhere didn't work so, mm-hmm. yeah just some most of the time it doesn't work but occasionally you hit gold and it's so ballsy going after it because you could cement you could literally nail in the coffin a franchise with you know with a bad remake because you know we haven't seen it and we haven't seen hiding her hair of nightmare on elm street we haven't seen anything out of friday the 13th now that they're even past the rights disputes but no one is talking about a new jason film Okay, no one is talking about, um, you know, more howling. No one is talking about any of this stuff, but Evil Dead, awesome remake. Then we get a t- they, you know, obviously so good. Then we get the TV show, Ash versus Evil Dead, which is fucking amazing. That was great. <laughs> okay, and now we have Bruce Campbell wanting, you know, basically not, not really super endorsing, but excited about someone else picking up the role. And maybe not playing Ash, but continuing the story from another, from a you know, with another character or something of that nature. So we don't know. So there could be something to it, but it's always such a high stakes gamble because you, know, you can put the the entire the entire future of a franchise on the line. Talking about remakes, one that I was just I'm still on the fence about was uh, Pet Cemetery. Oh, I was so unimpressed. I really was. I, okay, so yeah, I, it was it was okay. It was my my main issue was they flipped the kid. You know, it was the girl instead of the boy this time. Yeah. That damaged, then, in my eyes, that damaged it. The dad was... It was really hard to believe him as Doc. Like, I, I don't... I can't even remember the actor's name, but I, I, I've i seen him in a lot of stuff, and I don't think I've ever liked him in anything. Well, he was the... Uh, the the T-9000, whatever the fuck he was in, or the... In uh, Gen- what was it in Genesis? Yeah, with uh, of, Amelia yeah, he Clark. John, yeah, yeah, he played yeah, John yeah. Connor in that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But he was only human for like five minutes, and then he became a machine, which is perfect because he has the personality to fit a machine. Exactly, exactly. That was like the hardest part. And then yeah, yeah so and then <laughs> and then you got uh, what's his face as Judd. Now I thought you know I love John Lithgow. No, he's it's awesome. That, it's just and it's just that I thought that John Lithgow. I thought Lithgow was doing was was doing his best. To do a Fred Gwynn impersonation, and I'm sorry, Chief, you're no Fred Gwynn. No, yeah, because no. yeah, Judd Judd from the original was brilliant. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he you know he set like the the ambiance for the whole movie. 
And see, I mean, yeah, go ahead. And see, this is what makes remakes such a gamble is because when you have a brand new movie, a new original movie with all original characters, you know, we get the we get the film and we just assume okay, this is how the director meant it to be, whether it's good or bad. You know, oh, the director meant this character to be like a certain way. And it's just, that's the way it is, right? Kind of that's thing. The that's the way it is. But when you <laughs> when you take something that's already established, people already have that preconceived notion on what it should be. Because like even listening as we're talking about Pet Cemetery, it's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm already thinking of this while I'm watching the new movie. Kind you of thing. That, yeah, you've already got. If you have something that's really good a long time ago, it's really hard to keep up because you've got that uh, expectation. Yeah, you got that comparison because it's like, okay, we're expecting, right, you know, stuff like this to happen, uh, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. We're expecting characters to act this way. We're expecting, is like the, the demonites? I forgot the, what they're called. Uh, deadites. The deadites, right? The deadites. <laughs> We're expecting the deadites to be a certain way. We're expecting scenes to be a certain way, and so. And the thing is, if you copy it verbatim, then it's like, well, why does your remake exist if you just copy it verbatim? Oh yeah, yeah like the, all the all the camp, all the funny Jackie Earl Haley. That was his fucking. Name. <laughs> I knew that would come to me. Just it just blinked into my fucking head. But anyway, but Blink. yes, <clears throat> all the all the camp. Of that kind of was the Evil Dead signature that Sam Raimi liked to bring in, you know, a lot of crash, uh, crash zooms and funny shit that you know stuff that is as funny as is gross as is you know scary in that respect. So and you know, and Alvarez went in there, took all of that out, and said, "We're still going in here. We're doing it this way, but this is his vision of it." And you know, while there were some moments that you could like uncomfortably laugh or <laughs> you know at some scenes in that in that shit, but mostly that was just jo- I mean, fuck, dude, from the opening, the immolation scene, to I'll tell you, okay, I'll tell you this 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 one fucked me up because there's lots of stuff. That, I mean, obviously the vomiting scene that's totally Sam Raimi, you know, like you know, the you know the, her you know her looking out of the basement, the the lock basement, and you know fucking egging people on and shit, you know tree tree rape scene. That all that stuff, but the the thing that fucking got me was um, the girl in the uh, bathroom when she gets possessed. Oh, <laughs> and it was I it was so twisted because and the way Alvarez Fred did this it was it was just brilliant it was so genius. There was a sound that I that when I was watching this movie I was like oh my god she's gonna do something horrible. And there was a sound that you could hear that was growing steadily as the, the character, as the, uh, the, as Pucci's character was going to check on her. And he goes into the bathroom and the, you know, the, he turns the light on and he can see her. She's, she's, you know, over there. And I could, I, it was just this, this kind of grinding sound. And I was like, what the fuck? And, and it didn't dawn on me until I saw it, but you could hear the glass on her teeth. Oh. And she was grind, and she was cutting into her face. Oh, and and it was just, it was barely there. Like you could hear the scraping of just glass, of a shard of glass on teeth, and it was so unnerving, and just sat with me the whole fucking time. <laughs> that just bothered me. Just the idea that it's like, oh, just you know, scraping along 
the enamel. Just oh, that that it still gives me oh, I got goosebumps. Yeah, thinking about it, it's it's wild. I mean, there's so much shit in that movie that they the arm chopping scene oh, where she where she saws her fucking arm off. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, god, dang it! Oh, my head's going there. What about you guys? I'm like, I'm like thinking of every fucking scene in that movie right now. See, I'm thinking of the chainsaw at the very end because yeah. most of the time, oh. right? You most of the time it's like implied or something where you see the chainsaw like go in and all of a sudden like blood hits the person with the chainsaw and all this other kind of stuff and you know everything like that. But then it cuts to that like the wide shot and it's like straight up chainsaw splitting her in half. <laughs> in, Dude, that, that was another yes, yeah. another jaw drop. Scene. That they probably I mean both of them profile. She's got the fucking chainsaw. She is driving that fucking thing home one handed, like that. Fucking blood rain everywhere. Cabin on fire in the background. It's just the, the music. I was like, holy fucking shit! What am I watching? Now that's a fucking climax. That was a fucking climax. Yes. I was just like, she was like, I'm gonna, su- I will swallow your soul. Swallow this. Swallow this. <laughs> I was like, God damn. <laughs> oh. She oh she got you know lost the and the, the fucking tearing her hand off under the you know pinned under the car. <laughs> oh. like, it's like I was saying oh chainsaw oh she, she used the chainsaw to get herself free. No, she can't reach the chainsaw. So I guess we'll be tearing our limbs off today. <laughs> <laughs> so but oh yeah he you know holy shit um, if you got a vision you know you go with it you definitely go with it. It's Don't such a shame hold back. That, Yes, yes, yes. Go harder, go fucking home. <laughs> but, you know, it's so sad because, you know, with Bruce Campbell getting, you know, Bruce Campbell's getting up there in age. He's not going to play. It's so nice that we got the little cameo of him, you know, at the, at the end of the credits. Mm-hmm. You know, a little groovy from there. But, you know, he did three seasons of Ash vs. Evil Dead, and that got canceled unceremoniously, which was fucked up because that show was amazing. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how would he do with his fucking? He gets his head pulled into the fucking corpse's colon and shit. <laughs> I need to see. I was like, I was so. I went into that series and I was like, all right, this is going to be pretty good. You know, it, it didn't really take long for it to kick off. Dude, he gets he gets high and impresses a girl by reading from the Necronomicon. <laughs> when he is the one person who knows not to do it. And then she, that, she goes south, and you know he wonders why. Because that is fucking Ash Campbell. Uh, oh. Ash Williams, sorry, that is fucking and Bruce Campbell. That is Ash Williams, our man. And it's such a, such a shame. He only got three seasons, and he's gonna he's pretty much retired from the role. So who knows where it's going to go? And and you know, this is actually what I like to ask the audience: What do you think the future holds for Evil Dead? Because we did, we got the three seasons of a TV show, we got the movie in 2013, and you know, we may not get Bruce Campbell as in the role of Ash, but maybe he could be there, help cast somebody else, and maybe Sam Raimi, still from a producer's standpoint, because honestly, like I would like to see more from the franchise. Oh yes. All it takes is somebody finding the Necronomicon. Yeah, yeah, like that's it. So, you know, what what do you think the future has in store for Evil Dead? You know? 
I like to know. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And so, where, they, where, where, does the, where does the audience hope it goes? Yeah, where, yeah. Where does the audience yeah. hope it goes? Should it, is it something that should be done? Kind of thing. We've talked about a couple franchises like Reanimator, which hey, you know, it should be done. Um, or is it something that maybe we should get another movie or another crack at a TV show or something like that? You know, like the audience, let us know what you think the future holds. And so, da, da, da. and so, Alex, what do we got next? Well, we're gonna go from a very loud, aggressive movie to a quiet place. Uh-huh, uh... Uh, a quiet place came out April 6, twenty eighteen. So pretty, pretty new movie. Um, this one was written by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, directed by John Krasinski. Uh, Emily Blunt is in this one. Uh, John Krasinski plays uh, Lee in this movie. Millicent Simmons, Noah Jew, Cade Woodward all play in this post-apocalyptic world where uh, there's monsters out there hunting people. They are blind, though, but they can hear very well. So this family has to live in like absolute silence in order to survive. And it follows them through a clusterfuck of situations, starting from the very beginning. And follows all the way to the end, where, I don't know about you guys, but about three quarters of the way through the movie, I started getting irritated with that little girl. It was like, how have you not figured out what was going on? Yeah, I gotta, uh, I gotta say, you know, I know that A Quiet Place you know, won a slew of awards. You know, it blew people's minds like that, but I unfortunately am not one of the ones. It was not a terrible film. It was not. The problem that I had with it was after the film was over, and I started thinking about it. And this film, uh, A Quiet Place, despite its visual appeal, despite, you know, really decent action, you know, some some heartbreaking, you know, deaths and like that, it it was a, a a good monster movie. I think it fell prey to what happened to us, to Jordan Peele's us. And that it wasn't so much hype, whereas us, I think, was affected by the overhype. The problem I ran into, I mean, just I could, I could imagine, they kind of painted themselves into this corner. And they wanted to do things in the script that looked visually appealing, that, that made for great visual sets, and, you know, would just, just make for good filmmaking. But unfortunately when you have the story that you have, it didn't really mesh. And I'm talking about the the massive, massive plot holes all throughout this movie that the second I started thinking about it, I've only seen the movie once and I'm, I'm only going to see it once. I don't know if I'm going to, I'll definitely, I'm going to see a quiet place too, just, you know, so I know the continuation of the story. And plus I'm a huge, uh, Killian Murphy fan. Um, but I think I don't, I, I feel that this was mainstream horror. This was horror. This was a horror movie made for the for the for the I would say the the casual film goer. Ooh, see a scary movie, you know. And it was a horror film. You know, you got monsters like eating people and they can't fight them, and you know, and then crazy shit like giving birth in a bathtub, and you know, you can't scream, and you got to keep the baby quiet. There's a monster outside the door. I get that, but. I think they painted themselves into a corner with this one. It was really sharp, but only on the surface. I can agree with a lot of that. Yeah, I can I can agree with some some of it because it is you're talking about you know obviously it has super high production value, 
Um, and it's the type of horror film, you're right, for the mainstream, because, you know, it got Academy Award recognition, which Academies, they don't like horror films. They just, no, they do not. They, they just don't at all. So, you know, it was able to get in there. Um, I, I got more intrigued in the world itself, because I've, I've always been a fan of, like, a post-apocalyptic films. And stuff like that, you know, like after shit hits the fan. And so I I got really interested in the world that was going on there. And that was the thing that really kind of like held my attention and kind of keep, keep me going. But in terms of the story with these particular people, there are definitely some issues that, that can come up. Eugene's watching the road and like... I'm so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. I can only become so erect. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, I think my, my take on this movie was, it was bold. They went somewhere that not a whole lot of films have gone with the whole, having to be, it's a very, very quiet movie. There's not a whole ton of dialogue. You know, they do use like sign language and stuff in it, um, which is cool. Uh, and then, well, that was really, really smart because Krasinski wanted an actress who was uh, who was deaf. He didn't yeah. want an actress pretending to be deaf. He wanted a legitimate actress who was deaf, who knew ASL, and the entire cast and most most must uh, much of the crew learned ASL, and yeah. she had a translator on site. So th- there was that. You know, they, they the the attention to detail was very good. The the layout of the house, how they designed the basement setup, how they designed the safe room, the. Uh, the shots of the, the cinematography around the waterfall, the you know the acting, the relationship between the father and the kids, and the mother and the kids, and you could you could just that the, the dichotomy was palpable. So many strong hits. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I guess okay. So I watched this movie recently, actually, and uh, I watched it with the wife, and she made some good points. But, like, okay, so they have the sign language, and that's how they kind of... I'm, I'm assuming that's how they survived so long. Because they are, like... Half the time, like you said, they, they designed all this stuff. It was all really done well. Like, they were obviously surviving. But then they would do some stupid-ass shit that was, like... Okay, there's... It's either, like, you're, you've got this down or you don't. Like, the kid. Like, he knows better. Then he puts the fucking batteries in that spaceship, and it's like... Oh, no... Like, you knew better, yeah. and then everybody, that's, I think that's what got me was that scene, actually, that whole bridge scene, was because it was, like, you knew what was going to happen, the thing went down, now you know what's going to happen next, and it's like, the family's just standing there being quiet, they have to watch, because if they make a fucking noise, like, they're dead too, so they had to sit there, and I was like, okay, see, like, they're going to go really deep into the story, you know. You see, that was the, the, they, the thing that got don't. me, was that, it, the thing that got me is that that death felt very plot it's yes. like we need to do this to establish this, and you want to avoid doing open narration at the at the beginning of your horror film, because that's usually a death sentence. Okay, you haven't having you know like old man talking about the way the world was, and this is what <laughs> happened, and everything went to shit. That yeah, you know, when you open with with narration like that, you definitely you automatically clash your film into a much lower. Uh, into a much lower area of respect as far as critics go. 
Okay, so you want to open with action. You want to open strong. You want to display this. And in, and in a movie with barely any dialogue whatsoever, you have to be able to sell that on the emotive alone. So your actors have got to be able to sell that to the screen without without you know uttering a word. But it felt very plot, which unfortunately may be the trade-off. It's like we need something big, we need something visceral, we need to really engage, and we'll kill them. But that's what teaches us about the monsters and like this. So it feels very hey, the plot needs the boy to. The only reason the kid was there was to die. Okay, so it seemed a little lazy on that respect, or maybe the only way they could do it, which is fortunately they're you know bound by the script to be able to do this by bound by the concept. And they was like, oh, dang, it's the only way we can do it. it they it continuously painting themselves into corners is the thing that got me to to the point that the story lacked, co- uh, or you know, lacked, you know, was wasn't coherent at some points. The whole waterfall scenario. Why not live near the waterfall? That was exactly what I was yeah. Just thinking. Oh yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. If it's like if that's going to be an issue, and the thing is, is when you talk about you know coherent coherent storytelling, right? And cohesive, cohesive, cohesive was the word I yeah, was cohesive, for. right? Cohesive storytelling. You have to be able to answer the questions that the audience are going to bring up. When you have, we think of the most tight scripts that you have ever like seen, right? It seems like they think of everything because you're like, oh, would I do this? Oh, well, then the movie's like, no, this is why you wouldn't do this, or this is why you should do this, or this is something like that. And the characters are smart right and usually you have like a villain that's smart and it's just it's very well thought out um you know it's just it's a tight script it is and sometimes just a simple line of dialogue would have been like a oh we can't do this and even just that little nugget of information can help tighten up a script but it was something that they kind of like skipped over on a lot of stuff um in terms of the characters, I like the characterization that they did. It's a different focal point than you see in a lot of horror movies where it focuses on more on the family dynamic than on the actual creature part. But I think we, you know, we're talking about trade-offs. Maybe that was a trade-off. Maybe it was we're gonna focus more on this and then but we lose this other part of the script over here. Yeah, there's and we don't know hundred percent what went down in the editing bay. Uh, we don't know when we you know what was left on the cutting room, cutting room floor because everyone always overshoots. You always shoot everything you possibly can, and you you basically cut out what's going to remain to be able to tell your story. Um, but I mean, it it's it's a pretty simple writing, so you avoid an Armageddon situation where you know Ben Affleck comes to Michael Bay and is like, well, why don't they just train the astronauts how to drill? And Michael Bay's response was, you know, like, shut the fuck up, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you want to avoid that situation where it's like where the where the logic of you is like wait 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 hey, just like hang on a sec. You look at the waterfall; it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. There's ambient noise; they can't target you there. There's plenty of land around. Why aren't they living near the waterfall? They've got water. Why travel to the water and then bring the water back? That doesn't make any sense. I was like, that was the first thing that struck me. It's kind of like you know, in us. Wait a minute, rabbits. What the fuck are the rabbits eating? Rabbits don't eat each other, and they're breeding like rabbits. That makes sense. But where's the rabbit food? There's no grass down here. There's no rabbit, you know, kibble. 
Where what are the bunnies subsisting on? And, know, obviously, there's enough rabbits, and they're breeding fast enough and living long enough that all these you know doppelgangers can survive on them. So where do the rabbit? You know what's feeding the rabbits? Because we don't see any automatic feeding deal. We just see rabbits all over the place. That's the one thing that, that you know. It's little things like that where all of a sudden it's like, and if you don't, if you don't ask the questions that your audience is going to ask, then you end up doing things like painting yourself into corners and leaving logical plot holes that can do the worst thing possible to your movie, and that is break the fourth wall and break the suspension of disbelief. And this is why something I tell a lot of upcoming filmmakers that it's really, really important when, you know, you're like, hey, you got an idea, you write your script and everything like that, get other people to read it. I think a lot of times this gets skipped over in Hollywood because let's say you're a big enough name and, you know, they go, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just, you know, push it through and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but getting multiple writers to read it, getting multiple feedback, you know, getting those table reads. If, you know, you're like, hey, I want to give you a script, you write your script out and then do a table read on it. So you have other writers and other filmmakers that can go, well, what about this? Oh, I didn't even think because it could have been something they didn't even think of. You know, but Absolutely. getting a couple people to go, yeah, you know, what about this? What about that? Hey, this idea came to mind or something like that, just so you can tighten that script. Because the thing is, is you can make a bad movie off of a good script, but it is impossible to make a good movie off of a bad script. Yeah, yeah, unless you have like legendary talent involved. I can I can attest to this in one of my earliest uh, productions, one of my earliest projects. I ran into an issue where I had to ju- – basically it was, you know, rogue cop chasing bad guy, runs into monster, all hell breaks loose. That's pretty simple. Pretty simple storyline idea. But then I had gave it to one person who actually was an ex-police officer and he loved horror movies. He wanted to read this thing. So he, he only had one question. Well, wait a minute. What, you know, so he's chasing him because he's the bad guy. So I get revenge. Is he still a cop? Did he quit? Was he fired? Did, did he just take the fuck off? Because it, but I didn't explain any of that. I hadn't. Mm-hmm. It literally was just cop chasing bad guy. What the hell was like? Cops can't just go run across the country and chase bad guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like regular regular detectives, regular precinct detectives don't just run across the country chasing bad guys. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, unless it's like a a dumb movie. So I was kind of like, holy shit. So I had to go back and retool then. I had to settle that situation. So, yeah. So you, it, you, you've got to – you beta reading. Beta reading so important. Test audiences. You have studios use test audiences. Have people test your script. Read it. Find the holes. Fill them up with cement. Make that fucker solid. <laughs> Absolutely because all it takes is sometimes just one line of dialogue. That's sometimes all it takes is one line of dialogue – and it's easy to change it in the script, but you shoot your film and then you're in the editing room floor, you're in the editing room, you can't get that line of dialogue anymore without going back and doing an expensive reshoot or something like that. So get it as tight as possible before you shoot. Fuck that. You know what studios do and you you pick it out every time, because I know I pick it out, is when the camera is off of the character who's supposed to have a line. And they need to insert a line to do to like seal up a plot hole, so they can't. So they'll they'll do an ADR and they'll drop it in when the camera's off the character's supposed to be saying it. And nine out of ten times you catch it. 
I have been, I have gotten <laughs> so good at people like, wait a minute, that was an added line, that was an ADR, that's an ADR. <laughs> it's like, oh, I see. The ADRs for the characters are usually when the camera's not on the character saying them, or when we're doing like an establishing shot, they'll drop the line in. Just to, you know, just to clarify something like this or to seal up a plot hole. I was like, oh, I get it. So as long as there's something else going on, we can always drop in the line. We can always drop in the line to seal up our plot holes. A quick ADR session, boom, knock it out, throw it in the movie. You're all set. But you, can, like you said, it's it, like it throwing flex easy. seal on a movie. <laughs> exactly. It always bugs me because they because no matter how good of a fucking actor you are, you're usually doing ADR towards the end of a production. Okay. You've shot the movie, you're offset, you fucking wrapped, you've been to the party, you've done the cocaine, you've moved the fuck on. Then you get called, like, two or three months later, we have to do some ADR. So you're either sitting in your house, or you come out to the studio, you're standing in the sound booth, you're trying to resurrect a character that you've already put to bed, and it's always slightly off. Just a little off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. And with the, with this movie, there there's some holes, but I think the... The sequel, it looks like from the trailers, they're gonna seal up a lot of the, the, like prequel stuff. I guess just from the trailers, it looks like it kind of shows like the beginning of the whole thing and how it all started, and then you know it kind of continues from where they left off. So I mean, there's plenty of room to fill any holes that they had, you know. And like you said, it was very, you know, plot. But maybe that's you know setting up the second one, and the second one's gonna be more in-depth than the first one was it might answer your questions i don't know i'm looking forward to the sequel i enjoyed this film i don't know about you guys i want to know if our audience is looking forward to the sequel though how many people have seen it and if they you know was it smart to go for the sequel i'm actually i'm looking forward to the sequel you know to dive into a little bit more of what happened and just get a little bit more in the story so i'm, I'm looking forward to it i'm interested about like you know the the monster's origin, you know, dive more into that. You know what the origin is? No, I know, but like I like aliens. They're, <laughs> aliens. They're coming in. You know, they're coming in from like the prequel, like when it all started and how it went down. You know, how did the world go to shit? You know, why did they survive and not, you know, a slew of other people? And you know, maybe from the trailer, it looks like they run into some other people. And I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see where it goes and where it came from. For sure. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, All definitely. right. Hey, JL, let's uh, let's move to one of my favorite movies in the whole wide world. Yes. Oh God. Could could there could there be a better film? Yeah. The, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> April 9th, two thousand four. Probably one of the greatest zombie films ever made in the history of zombie films. Uh, yeah, I'm putting that putting, putting it up against Night uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, we're going with Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> God, I fucking love this movie. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, the, the, it, it, the movie, it's amazing. And the thing is, is you have a film that hits on every single note and even the timing of when this film came out because it's around what dawn of the dead and 28 days later that that time yep. time frame and this drops like right in the middle so you get the serious fast zombies that scare the shit out of you and dawn of the dead and then the very next month you get to laugh about it 
this was the this was the beauty of how Z- I believe Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead was able to open up the door for uh, for our filmmakers here. But uh, Shaun of the Dead, just to break it down, Shaun of the Dead was directed by Edgar Wright and written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who have been longtime collaborators, and starring Simon Pegg, Kate Ashfield, Lucy Davis, Nick Frost, Dylan Moran, Bill Nye, and Penelope Wilton. So, but a fantastic, fantastic fucking movie. Um, I doubt anybody has not seen it, but we'll give them a quick breakdown. If there might be some young people, that, uh, young audience members that have not seen it, um, the plot revolves around Simon Pegg's Sean, the eponymous Sean, who um, kind of a slacker, kind of a near do well, uh, not really doing anything with his life, stuck in a dead end job with a dead end friend, and just kind of tooling through life. His girlfriend's getting sick of him. And <laughs> sounds like a millennial when you put it that way. <laughs> things start, things start falling apart. Uh, girlfriend breaks up with him. Uh, he can't seem to get his shit together, and then the zombie apocalypse happens. <laughs> so told with absolutely, I mean, this is one of the funniest fucking movies out there. Dry British humor meets gory zombie kills, and just a a slacker trying his best to survive. Um, such a brilliant story, and or and it, I mean, the the where it came from is actually really really slick. Yeah, and so it was actually right. Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg actually worked together on a show called Spaced. It's a fucking awesome show. <laughs> <laughs> the show is so fucking funny. <laughs> So, you know, they work together on the show, and specifically an episode called Art, right? And in the episode, right, um, in the episode, right, he plays he plays somebody who is in the, on the, under the influence of amphetamine, right, while playing Resident <laughs> Evil 2. <laughs> so, of course, he starts hallucinating, he starts fighting off the zombie invasion and all this other kind of stuff, right? Well, you know, like, after the episode was over, right, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, and um, I believe what Nick Frost was in the episode, too, right? Uh, Nick Frost was a, yeah. was a part of the show. Oh, yeah, part of the show. Cause, yeah, because uh, Nick and Simon uh, were, both, were both longtime friends, and they pretty much just lived at the pub and didn't really do much of anything, and Edgar was always trying to, like, get him to, like, go out and do stuff, and, you know, they're girlfriends at the time. Um... We're trying to like you know get him to like go out and just engage with the world and shit. And they just didn't want to. They just wanted to sit in the pub and drink. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, next thing you know, you got the three of them hanging out, talking, having a beer, talking about their lives, and they're actually all of them are really big fans of George A. Romero's um, zombie films, like Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead, and all this other kind of stuff, right? And so all three were huge fans, and they just decided that you know we're gonna write our own zombie movie. And, like, that's how it kicked out, like, one of the best, first of all, one of the best collaborations of just people together, period, and the classic zombie film. It is important to have those relationships, because if it wasn't for Edgar Wright um, constantly, (laughs) constantly, you know, like, hammering them to do something, because I think at at the time in their lives, because I think Simon Pegg was talking about how Space was the first major role he'd ever had. And it was it was a BBC series, and so it was the first major comedy role he'd ever had. And I think he hadn't been doing it. He had he had not been doing a lot of anything. And then Nick Frost was 
pretty much working here and there, but mostly hanging at the bar and making money playing the little the the gambling jackpot machine. <laughs> because it, it was called it was like the fruit machine is what they called it. You know, the, that 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 whole kind of thing and. They called him the Fruities, and he spent an inordinate amount of time. That's how he paid the it was sometimes paid the bills. So Nick Frost got really good at playing that game, and was able to sometimes you know cover himself when he had no work. So they was they were at the bar. All they had you know that was pretty much it. But it <laughs> wasn't for like Ed, yeah, pretty. Be a, uh, <laughs> I think in an interview with GQ, Simon Pegg said Sean is pretty much who he was at the time. Like he's like that's pretty much who I was. You know, I was doing this. I failed at it. I really didn't have any direction. I had friends who kept trying to push me to do stuff and wanting me to go out. And I had a near-do-well friend who was pretty much Ed because Nick Frost was pretty much playing himself. And it was, yeah, that was it. And so, yeah, so it was, he said uh, Sean is the closest he ever, he'd ever come to playing just him you know, <laughs> on screen. You can and, tell, though. Like, in, in, Also, like between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and all their movies like The Hot Fuzz and uh, The World's End... Um, and that Simon Pegg Edgar Wright relationship, you can see it in all their films. But I think that's why their movies are so good. There's no tension, like you know, you can tell there's like no tension behind behind the camera, and that's super important, especially when you're doing like British films too, because you can because <laughs> they can get really fucking weird. But like when you get into stuff like that, if people are clashing behind the scenes, it, it's not going to be great. There's so many movies that failed and they should have been great that that weren't because you had issues and i know we're talking about like pet cemetery and uh i was just talking to somebody about how like the book didn't really quite i guess no what were we talking about there was there was an issue between director and uh writer oh we were talking about um no that was in children of the corn yeah yeah, yeah that's right we we're talking about children, yeah, children of the corn. we had you had you had complications between the studio uh stephen king stephen who wrote King's. the original screenplay and goldsmith who wrote the who wrote the uh, or did the rewrites? It's kind of like well, he kind of rewrote Stephen King shit, and there was there was consternation there, and that consternation mm-hmm. bled into the production itself. <laughs> that seemed to happen with a, a few Stephen King movies. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can you can tell when that happens though. You know, something's supposed to go one way, and you can tell where they're going. But then like you get Shaun of the Dead, which is like you know it's kind of a spoof. It's it's a comic movie, but the chemistry on scene and you can tell through production just made this one of the absolute best films ever. Like, it's just... Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. Off each other to, so well. They, you know, give them a chance to cast all their friends. Yeah. You know, you got Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Nick Frost having, you know, been friends for decades and just coming up in the industry together. Edgar is a director and writer and Sean is an actor and Nick is an actor. And then, of course, they're friends with individuals like, you know, Martin Freeman, who, you know, went on to huge things, was, the, you know, was... Bilbo Baggins and The Hobbit, yeah. and you know, God, I loved his turn in Cargo. God, he was so fucking good in that movie. Oh, Jesus. But um, yeah, he was. Movie. Oh, he was great. But you know, and then you get to cast all your buddies. So every day is like going to go and hang out with your friends. And I imagine from my experience being in stage, my or my initial training being in stage acting, it would feel very much like rehearsal every day, because rehearsals are fun. Yeah. You know, as a stage actor, I look forward to rehearsals all the time. Doing it on the night can sometimes not be fun because you might not have a great audience. You know, it's always it's always a gamble. You you could have a shit audience that doesn't respond. You know, your the jokes that you are the 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 you know the areas where the beats that you have 
prepared and done and have been successful for weeks, all of a sudden they fall flat. It's always a gamble. But when you have everybody cohesively bound, you know, with you know, with that friendship, when you know, you foster those relationships, every day can feel like rehearsal. And that's one of the appeals that's always gotten me on working on film is that we can all have fun and we're still working and we'll put it all together in post and then that goes on you know, like that. But we can do that. And if you don't have those relationships, then you wind up with, you know, oh, God, the, the tales of actors who couldn't work, you know, Blade, you know, Wesley Snipes and Blade Trinity. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. And shit like that. Uh, Mike Myers <laughs> or, you know, a, a bunch of others. The thing is, is what helps with this movie is you get this just this natural honesty to it. That it's just it's something these characters are just relatable. And I think because they they all are such good friends, they're all able to play off each other so well. We just relate to them. You know, we're either we're either like them or we have friends who are like them. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of my buddy, you know, so and so here and there. And that's one of the appeals that makes it fun because, you know, despite it being comedy, it's not like super slapstick like Airplane. You know, Airplane that has like 500 jokes in that movie kind of thing like that. But it's funny because it's just honest. Most people want to be like the badass in zombie movies. But the thing is, is most people aren't like that kind of thing. No, most people are like Sean. Yeah, most people are going to yeah, be like, much. wait, <laughs> what, what's going on? And they're, they're going to take their record collection and throw their records at the at the zombies and try to kill them because no, they no, can't. Think second album I ever bought. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. <laughs> Sorry. You know exactly. You know when when they finally get the gun, right? You know most people are just going to be shooting things randomly and all this other kind of stuff, and that's what makes that movie so good. <laughs> Man, that was the original pressing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so much good, so much good stuff. Um, you know, and it, you know, I'm probably gonna go back and watch it again. Just yeah, you know, I love, I own the whole trilogy. Uh, World's End is is actually my favorite of the of the. Film. I love that because <laughs> World's End is amazing. It's because Simon Pegg really nailed it. Um, as a, you know, as far as a complex character in this in the comedy. But uh, it's you know following right behind it is hot fuzz. So I actually like them in re- like them in reverse order. I love all three movies, but I like them in reverse order. But At World's End is my favorite of the of the three flavors Cornetto trilogy. So that's my question for the audience: three flavors Cornetto trilogy: Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, or at or uh, the World's End. All three fucking amazing comedies. One a horror, one an action, one a sci-fi. Okay. Um, this is a horror podcast. We do have a, a bias towards Shaun of the Dead. It is an amazing goddamn film. Probably one of the greatest zombie films ever made. Um, but not my favorite of the three. What is your favorite of the three? We would like to know, which one did you prefer? I'm willing to bet most people say Hot Fuzz. Mine See, is actually Shaun of the my, Dead. That was my least favorite out of the three. Really? Yeah, that was my least favorite too. Not that it was bad, it just, it. if I had to pick between those three, it would not be Hot Fuzz. Just fucking Timothy Dalton, man, was it's, No, it's hilarious. Oh, it's, it's good. Stop me, I'm a slasher. What? <laughs> I'm a slasher of prices. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking skis. I'm a slasher and I must be stopped. <laughs> of prices. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? 
fuck, dude. <laughs> oh, he was so amazing at that. And apparently, oh, I gotta throw this out there because most people don't know. Apparently, if you remember the scene when Simon Pegg as Nick Angel is interrogating everybody at the supermarket, <laughs> and Simon Skinner, uh, Timothy Dalton's character, is sitting in the chair, and uh, he do you know as as he's going through all the evidence like that, and. When Simon Pegg goes to reveal, is like, you know, if a wound you sustained on your leg this very morning, and he, he like, pulls his leg, his, like, pants legs up to, to reveal <laughs> that, you know, to where he got cut on the glass, but obviously there's no wound there. But when he did that, Timothy Dalton was wearing those those sock suspenders. Yeah. That keep your socks up, and, <laughs> and Simon Pegg didn't know, and they blew the whole fucking take. <laughs> just lost great, it. Just great shit. So many good things, but yeah, I would like to know what the audience. Uh, what's the audience's favorite of the three flavors Cornetto trilogy or the Blood and Ice Cream trilogy? Let us know what your favorite entry of that trilogy was. And Eugene, it's going to carry us on in the way back machine. All right, so you know we've actually been talking a lot about like some recent films, you know, stuff that came out, you know, mid two thousands and forward. But we have to include at least like one, one a little bit back, a little bit kind of thing like that. And so released April eleventh, nineteen eighty six, we have the movie Critters. Fuckers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, um, definitely a little fun film, right? Directed by uh, Stefan Herrick. Pronounce that right? Herrick? Right. Uh, starring D. Wallace Stone, M. Emmett Walsh, and Billy Greenbush, right? And basically. Billy Bush. <laughs> Billy Greenbush. Billy Greenbush. Billy Greenbush. <laughs> <laughs> We're all laughing at this because this movie's fucking amazing. <laughs> So it, this movie, this movie's so hilarious, and you know, just in case you haven't seen it, you know, basically in a nutshell, right? You get some nice fuzzy creatures that arrive on a farm, right, from outer space, right? You get some bounty hunters, some supposed bounty hunters that come in and they try to hunt these things, but it doesn't work well, and so the family's left to do battle with these uh, furry <laughs> things on their own. <laughs> the bounty hunters fail terribly. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> oh, I fucking love this movie. The just that the scene where they're on the fucking porch and she and the, they're talking. He's like, they have weapons. They can defend themselves. And then the other one's like, so what? And then that fucking double barrel shotgun comes out the door and blasts that fucker into Boom. pieces. And the other one's like, oh fuck! And he runs the fuck off. <laughs> oh, this movie was so brilliant. <laughs> That's great. God, and yeah, you know, it's it's definitely an 80s movie, which is, which is amazing. And it's funny as fuck. And you get, that's the thing, you mix, the, you know, we talk about a lot of really scary movies and psychological, and then you get stuff that falls into the, the horror comedy, which I, I love. I love having a good scare. I love watching a good slasher. But, like, when you get into stuff like Shaun of the Dead or, like, like this movie, which is just absolutely fucking hilarious... You got a whole slew of them. You think about it. You got like you know stuff like Zombieland. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Cooties. Oh yes, with uh, Elijah, Elijah Wood, Elijah and Wood. Yep. Wilson in it. That was fucking. That was amazing. But you can make you can make movies. You can make scary movies. They can still be scary. You know, you can still be on the edge of your seat and 
then laugh your ass off halfway through. It's, well, Critters was a was a great blend. It was okay, a perfect blend. You've mm-hmm. got you've got you got voracious aliens that are gross looking, have giant mouths, you know, filled <laughs> with teeth, eating everything in their path. Anything organic, they eat. And they just, you know, unstoppably just consume. And there's there's a bunch of them. Consume. So they just consuming, you know, livestock, people. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that's their number one weapon. They're small, but they can roll up into balls. They can launch themselves. They're fast as fuck. And they're smart because they can communicate. They can strategize. They can plan. They're ridiculous. And so you've got these aliens that are just munching on the local the local town people. And they have no, you know, no real chance against them. But then you throw in some of the best comedy I've seen: the bounty hunters with the fish out of water, uh, the fish <laughs> out of water comedy. The bounty hunters like, what the fuck is this planet and shit like that? Just did that shit. Um, the guy uh, Charlie, who became a mainstay of the series, okay, as the comic relief, his relationship with uh, Billy Bush's character, and so it just it, you have the right, th- and that's the. The right balance, I think, is what's necessary. And somewhere in that line, I've never, I've only written in my writing career. I've only written one comedy. Um, I mostly, I mostly do horror, psychological horror, and shit like that. So there's a balance there that I'm not, you know, too familiar with as to where do you do sixty thirty, do seventy, you know, seven or sorry, sixty forty, seventy thirty. I don't know. It's it's a mystery to me. It's a mystery. Jinkies! <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> no, they they did, really did. And I mean, like for being like a late '80s film, I love '80s films. They're like I think that's probably like my favorite era, just because it was like it, it could have been so bad, but it was so good. It's one of those, you know, we talk about like writing comedies and stuff like that. Writing comedy might be the hardest genre to write because. You don't know if it's gonna work until you get to editing. I honestly don't think it's. Uh, I, I gotta say, I, I agree totally. I don't. I think it's legitimately the only genre that you can write in that is not your state. That everything else is, can be formulaic. You can do formulaic horror. You can do formulaic romance. Formulaic action. You, all of these can. There are standard formulas for this. I don't believe comedy has a standard formula. It, it really doesn't because there's so many different types because you can have like the endearing rom-com kind of thing which is completely different than say the movie you know I mentioned earlier the movie airplane which one you know one of my favorite movies which is the exact opposite kind of thing and the, and the comedy and then you have you know we talk about Shaun of the Dead which is a totally different style of comedy but they all work kind of thing you know that's what makes comedy hard. And even, you know, with horror films, we've watched a lot of horror films and they'll have like a funny moment. Like, oh, it was funny the way that girl was killed or, oh, man, you know, you, uh, we talked about the, the leprechaun. The leprechaun have like a one liner or something like that and then kind of go off kind of thing. But, you know, those are just like a little moment here and there just sprinkled throughout. But an actual decent horror comedy where we're going to do horror elements and make you laugh throughout the film. That is hard to do. Very, very deep. Finding that unique balance where you could do it where, you know, everything is dark and then you have your bad guy throwing in one-liners or you have the one character who doesn't take anything seriously or in some manner just... But it's such a tightrope 
and I don't envy anybody who plays on that on a regular basis because that is some difficult shit to write. And trying to play, you could I could write horror all day long, but if I tried to if I tried to make my monster movie a horror comedy, I would I would fall fucking flat. It would look it would look ridiculous, you know. And when you have something this well balanced, it's so easy for everybody to have fun playing to have fun working. On the on the shoot, and you could tell that that was I think this was one of the big things that set apart uh, critters from Gremlins because everybody, I think everybody pretty much believed that Critters, which came out after Gremlins, that Critters was a rip off of Gremlins. When in actuality, the 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 script for Critters was done years before Gremlins was ever conceived. It just took forever to get it produced. I think with the success of Gremlins, that kicked Critters into high gear and said, "Oh wait, we we can't be successful with little monsters running around." But Gremlins, while it had its moments, was considerably darker mm-hmm. than and more you know, considerably darker and pretty much more violent than Critters was, which was which is impressive. And you can't tell that everybody on that set is having fun all the time. But in Critters, I believe you could. I saw D. Wallace having the time of her life. <laughs> Billy Bush rocking it. Charlie. Uh, the guy who played Charlie, of Lord, I can't remember his name, but that dude just like just have. I'm I'm willing to bet most of his shit was was probably ad lib or improv. Um, just the his natural delivery, and then of course the bounty hunters, reacting to everything or not reacting to everything <laughs> going on around them, shit like that, and it seemed like everybody was just having fun, and that's rule number one on a movie set. <laughs> you gotta have fun. Oh, Otherwise definitely. When you're like, when you're working with a cast and the crew and everybody's getting along and everybody believes in the script and everybody's going with it, you know, it's like filmmaking could be one of the best things ever because, you know, as filmmakers, you get on sets where the producer and director are arguing or the director and DP are arguing and they're arguing with the writer or cast members aren't getting along and it can make filmmaking like just a bad experience and you're just like oh i don't want to go i don't want to deal with these people and you know especially when you start losing faith in the film and you're just like okay i think this film's gonna suck but we still have three more weeks of shooting and i kind of and it can be it can drag on and be real arduous versus when it's like you know we're talking with Shaun of the dead it's like you're going to work with your best buddies right you're being directed by one of your best friends y'all love the script you're having fun and that's what makes Critters work because it's like we're having fun. We can't wait. We would like to shoot another three weeks just to shoot stuff. But, you know, eventually you shoot everything you need kind of thing. And it, yeah. you can feel that off the screen. The same thing, yeah. We're going to say same thing with Shaun of the Dead. Uh, the, the fostering those relationships, having the you know, having those open lines of communication, bouncing ideas off of each other instead of competing for ideas, you know, where it's a, yeah, where everybody is as equally involved from the talent to, you know, from above the line to below the line, you know, it's very, very important. And you can see this all over Critters, which is why I think it's still, I mean, you don't see any more Gremlins films. There was Gremlins and Gremlins to the new batch. And the new batch, they tried to inject a shit ton more comedy, but it still did, it still didn't run. Okay. But you've had Critters, Critters 2, Critters 3, Leonardo DiCaprio's first movie, Critters 4, Critters in Space. Okay, like which actually, which, which actually, Critters in Space wasn't a bad film. It <laughs> actually wasn't. I was shocked 
They had some decent shit in there. And then then uh, they went they, 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 or then the, the there was four in the franchise and then all of a sudden we have a resurgence. We got a Critters television show that aired on Sci-Fi and then a new one that's airing on Shudder. Or maybe I got this reversed. One was on Sci-Fi, one is on Shudder. And I think the one on Shudder is a continuation of the storyline after Critters 3. So there's continuity there. Mm-hmm. And that's how you establish a franchise. People working together. People having fun. People enjoying themselves. You know, you t- you you turn it into a fucking slog. You better be a goddamn genius. You better be fucking Kubrick. Okay? Yeah, you better be able to produce Kubrick. that good. <laughs> 127 fucking takes. It's like, goddamn, dude. Really? And but I mean, I guess if it works. But I say always have fun. Fun. You're making a fucking movie. Right. Absolutely, you know, and you know, for the filmmakers out there, you know, you get you, you when you start, you know, fostering these relationships. Remember the people you enjoy to work with, and those are the ones that you want to keep close and always stay in contact. And just shoot a message, just hey, man, you know, how you doing? All this other kind of stuff. So you keep those relationships going because you never know. Eventually, you get four or five people together, kind of thing. You're all hanging out. And, hey, let's try to write something and. One is a writer, one's a director, one's an actor, one's an editor, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, we can actually put our resources together and make a movie kind of thing. And then you go out and you have fun making it kind of thing. But, you know, we've actually talked about uh, a little bit between the difference between Critters and Gremlins, you know. So, <laughs> actually, you know what? I like to ask the audience – which series do you actually like better? Do you like Critters or do you like Gremlins better? What about Critters versus the Langoliers? Well, <laughs> we had this discussion. The Langoliers <laughs> are cosmic entities. They devour time. The Critters don't have a chance because the Critters exist within a reality. They're bound to that reality. The Critters can't hurt the Langoliers, but the Langoliers can hurt Just fucking the love that story, okay? <laughs> you just like you know, rolling things with mouths going after each other. Yes. I'm actually kind of curious because oh, you, know, you could consider the original Gremlins as kind of a horror, a horror movie. There was some scary stuff in there. Yeah, like, especially there, as I a mean, kid watching it, for sure. <clears throat> I mean, there was some wacky... I mean, I mean that... that when she throws the one in the blender, that's pretty gnarly. <laughs> um, but I love a good blender what if, kill. <laughs> what if that was a what, what if that was a bloodbath? Should we do what if it was a critters versus gremlins bloodbath? Oh, I think it'd be doable. I think it'd be doable that too. It'd be interesting because you know because while critters are are hardcore, they don't breed like gremlins do. Right. But critters, man, they eat, and they can do that giant ball thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty effective. <laughs> Very curious. Definitely let us know, audience. We want to hear what you think. Tell us, horror fans. What would you like to... Well, yeah, who do you think would win? And send your info to weekinhorror at gmail.com. Please, please send us some emails. Yes, please. <laughs> We're just home, alone during Alex this quarantine. Alex desperately <laughs> needs someone to write to him. He's very lonely. Sitting at his computer... Waiting for my call to begin the next episode. I'm so rowing. He needs a friend. <laughs> Contact <laughs> us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Insert personal you phone won't. number here. Please just call me. You won't be sorry you did. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. First five minutes are free. <laughs> Jared, Jared flicks on his webcam. <laughs> 
All right, so we actually got one movie left. Alex, what we're we gonna end on? We do. I'm and before so, so, I'm fucking sorry, I just I just saw fucking Alex like god goddamn Mad Max. Befriend me. <laughs> Support. It just popped in my fucking head. <laughs> Witness me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Man, we got one more. Let's knock it out. We do. I wanna I wanna throw something in there. I forgot to throw in the anecdote that just popped in my head though. Um. I just watched the first couple episodes of the new American Horror Story, 1984. Oh, the slasher one, yeah. Dude, it's great. It's awesome because it follows like it follows like you know like a, a camp, and then they're they're killing kids at a camp. There's this murderer, but then fucking Richard Ramirez shows up, the the Night Stalker. Oh no! Geez. Oh yeah, shit. and he plays like he plays like a pivotal fucking role at least in the first couple episodes, and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. So yeah, it's great. If you get a chance, check that out. American Horror Story 1984. Interesting. Okay. Um, Alright, yeah, we'll get into this last movie, though. And hey, fucking ended on a banger, right? We're talking about House of a Thousand Corpses. Came out uh, April 11th, 2003. Written and directed by Rob Zombie. Starring the late, great Sid Hag, uh, Karen Black, Bill Moses. I said Hag. You said Hag. Oh, sorry I'm from the north. Leave me alone. My eyes are different. <laughs> yeah, so they'll eviscerate Hag. us if we don't get his name right. Hag. I said it right. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> We're just covering ourselves, right? We can butcher a lot of people's names. Listen, I, I say bag and pillow and milk, so like, give me a break. <laughs> Where did I leave off? Care Black. Uh, I mean, there's so many freaking awesome people in this. Um, and obviously Sherry Moon is baby. Um, and the inimitable Bill Mosley. Bill Mosley. Mm-hmm. I did say that. Legendary. Definitely. He's, he's been to in this movie. Okay, so. You know, fucking Rain Wilson was in this one. Yeah. He was in this. I, yeah, I was looking into that when we were doing all the, the research, and I was like, no fucking way. <laughs> Didn't remember. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so this, this story follows uh, a couple couples that are traveling across the United States looking for off-beaten paths type urban legend stuffs america's secrets and they come across this dr spaulding's uh museum of what is a museum of murders murders and, 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 yeah, and madmen and uh they become infatuated with the local lore and end up coming across baby and then they get a flat tire and meet this family and the fucking just insanity ensues this, this movie starting off a trilogy of just fucking fantastic films yes and that i have to say i watched when i watched this the first time i was kind of blown away i had not seen i okay i've seen you know from fulci's work you know italian zombie movies <laughs> uh german horror german expressionist horror i uh, american you know a hammer horror from the 60s and I had yet, when I first saw this film, I had yet to see a film that was this kind of aesthetic. That was, it was like a, how to describe, a kaleidoscope of colors and senses pulled from the, from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. That were just, so, it was so unique and so well 
well envisioned for a for a first time for a first time major director working out first movie first major film at the gate. He's working for fucking Universal, yeah. And he, I think honestly that Universal didn't know what they what they were getting a hold of because Zombie himself I think was ahead was ahead of his time as far as being as far as the vision he had for what horror was and that which was scary because so many things you don't see normally all by themselves his color palettes the extreme the extremity of his color palettes uh when he moves from normal lighting to to you know the weird i would say another a kaleidoscope of lighting effects that go through each like each room in the house had its own kind of feel whether it was otis's room or it was baby's room or it was the dining room Okay, or you know, under the underneath the basement where she meets Doctor Satan and Papa Firefly. So many elements that he was able to bring together seamlessly into this incredibly unique horror aesthetic. You know, and his past is such a mystery. Who knows where it comes from? But you know, it it was striking. Obviously, I, it got me. I remember oh, yeah. when this came out and like how hyped up it was. And how people were so blown away by it. Because this came out when I was 13. I didn't end up seeing it until I was probably 17 or 18. But I remember when it first came out, people were just like, holy shit, holy shit. And it, like, it, that's when I watched it. I was I, I will, there's scenes, like you say, there's scenes in that movie, they stick in my mind because of the way that they were shot or the colors that they used. You know, or like just the overall feel. I'll remember specific scenes in that movie forever because it was it was so oh. different oh god it was it was like it was like a haunted house yeah exactly yeah. moving from section to section with different shit that you would encounter it, it, it was that kind of experience and but but added in you know your your classic you know 70s surrealism with 80s com- with 80s commercialism with some camp and some satire just damn, he it's, yeah, it's he, like, he had many many cylinders, and he hit them all. Absolutely, it's it's not very often in horror where you get what feels like a truly original vision, because you watch so many horror films, and most of them are trying to be like this or trying to be like that and stuff like that. And you know they can have a couple of twists or here and there, experiment a little here and there and stuff like that as the genre progresses. But when you get something that's so unique from it, you know, from its art direction to its cinematography to its editing, which it plays on your preconceived notion of horror films. And I think that's where you get some of those hints of brilliantness right where it's this we're gonna kind of we're gonna take you on a ride that you've never been on before and we're gonna surprise you in ways you've never been surprised before and you're gonna love it like that's that's kind of how that's how the film feels and i know we we've talked about you know this this scene several times and even you know we're meeting about it earlier we we're talking about it you know the scene in the barn, right, with the gun, and that long hold. The oh, yeah. It's, uh, unnecessarily after the, after the long sheriff, hold. Yeah. After the sheriff gets capped and Walton Goggins um, is being held at gunpoint. And, you know, you got the open shed and the girls' bodies are all in there. 
and just you know Otis has got the gun on him and the, that crane pullback. Yes. That lasted. It would, oh my god! It was like over. I think it was over a minute. Maybe maybe close to a minute. I'm not, I, it was it was near there. Way too long. Way tension without release. Tension without release. And it, the thing is, like it keeps holding, holding, holding. You know it's gonna happen. Then you doubt it's gonna happen because it's lasting so long. But then you know it's gonna happen. And that's something that's that's something new. Because most of the time in horror, in the kills are quick or something like that, or you know the villain will say something or something like that, and he starts using that, and he starts using that in kind of his other films. Because then when he did Halloween, right, he flipped that on his head. The shot where you have Danielle Harris, right, she runs out of the house, and then Michael grabs her, pulls her back in, the door closes, and you have that wide shot of the house, and he just sits on it, and you're like, that's it. That is the iconic, she's dead. Do you know that's it? She's, oh my gosh, she punched him in the face and she starts running off again. <laughs> kind of thing. Oh, you she's know? fucked. Oh, she, wait, wait, is she actually fucked? Wait, wait. No way. No way, she's still going, kind of thing like that. And so you see those kind of hints. So you see him experimenting with his vision. You know, and it started with this film. I think uh, you saw early influence, I think, because Rob Zombie directed all of his own music videos. <coughs> so when you look at his kind of like did 70s pop. COVID? I did, yeah. No, I don't have the COVID. <laughs> um, when you look at his like kind of, you know, 70s underground Skid Row style horror, um, I think I think I watched the I watched the interview with him uh, or listened to the, the interview he did on Joe Rogan. And he talked a lot about his upbringing, you know, coming up in New York and kind of you know, in the 70s and being desensitized to the things that he, that he experienced and the things that he saw. And you couple that with like the with like the, the club scene when he was playing music, when they were doing early music before they became White Zombie. And then all the things that he ran into. This is like 1970s New York. And he was in the bad, the bad part of town near I think he was near Times Square. Um you factor all that into his vision and couple that you can see the kind of early off uh, the early peaks of that in his music videos because you know the the music video for living dead girl the music video for um dragula these kinds of things and there were there were moments that were in there and then of course he he uh, i know that he originally wanted to be a filmmaker that was his that was his dream music wasn't just a way to make money because even though he always thought that was weird, because even though they they really couldn't play very well, they could still make a ton of money just on the imagery alone of being white zombie. Yeah, because if you actually like break down like the guitar part for like more human than human, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah, like if you're learning guitar, like that's one of the first songs you should look at to play because it's super easy. But you know what? They they had the it factor. And it worked. <laughs> Something that he has, he he sees the world in an interesting, in a in a, in a very different way, and that's why I really enjoyed uh, the first the the Halloween remake. I really really liked that. wasn't so much a fan of the second one. I think he he tried to explore some some depth, but hey, that's what Rob Zombie does. He plums depths. He explores territories that people don't want to go to. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. I applaud him for it. He has the stones to go there and be like, look, we're going to look at it in this perspective, something you didn't think of. And when I'm watching a horror movie, 
sure, I, you know, I want to be entertained. I want to see the protagonist fight back. I want to see people get fucked up, and <laughs> you know, I want to see cra- you know craziness ensue. But when you start dropping in the very subtle hint that violence is violence seeps in, violence spreads like cancer. It moves from perpetrator to victim to the next victim and the next victim. How it erodes the bonds that we have. And not not quick, but just slowly but surely tears us down, breaks us down. And it's systemic. You know? You don't want to think about the the systemic nature of violence within society and how it it's eroding the very thing that binds us together as individual or it binds us together as a civilization. And it's just eroding the bedrock of what we are, but there it is. You know, and he puts that right in your face in Halloween too. That was brutal, which I think made that film all the more just kind of like gut churning because you realize that you're watching something, you're 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 getting off on this, you're enjoying it. But that's just like I said, his early brilliant his brilliance. We saw it in House of a Thousand, Devil's Rejects, fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh was, yeah, you know, and then that was such the a great continuation of the yeah. whole thing. It was like okay, and then you got three from hell too after that, and it's like, all right, man, <laughs> like yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be have to be taking your car today. <laughs> I fucking love that scene. God, hey, but uh, that's that's a question for the audience. What's your favorite Rob Zombie film? You've got the the House of a Thousand Devils Rejects, Three from Hell. Obviously, we talked about Halloween, Halloween two. Uh, one of my personal favorites was Lords of Salem uh, with Sherry Moon. Mm-hmm. I liked that movie. I know he had his hands in like Slither. He did the zombie horror picture. You know, he's uh, he did some work on Super too. We talked about that earlier. Uh, um, El Super Bisto was his animated picture. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's a question for the audience. What's what's your favorite Rob Zombie film? He's got such a unique spread and. A unique film style. It's it's kind of hard to pick one specific movie, but I mean, coming down to it, I think mine was Devil's Rejects. I I liked Lords of Salem, but I think Devil's Rejects was my all time favorite zombie film. I was going to say Devil's Rejects also. I'm also going to say Devil's Rejects. It was so close with Thirty One. Thirty One was great too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thirty One was so good, and it was just near because Richard Brake. Um, <laughs> Is is so is such a phenomenal character actor. You don't get to yeah. I mean, you he was in Mandy. He was awesome in Mandy. He was in Doom. He was um, in he's Doom. done so <laughs> he's done so much shit. He's such an entertaining. He's such a visually arresting character actor. And I love just the way what he brings, the energy he brings. He's always on. He's always on point. He was fucking brutal as shit in Thirty One. Um, and so you know, horror movies are are you know they're as good as their villains and. It was close, but Devil's Rejects, I mean, Bill Mosley as Otis, Sid Haig as Captain Spaulding, and then, of course, Sherry as uh, Baby Firefly. You can't top that. Yeah, Fucking I think Sherry Moon, man. that was a movie that cemented those characters. Like, House of a Thousand Corpses is good. It's like, okay, you know, and it was like, it, you know, it's like one of complete story. And then when Devil's Rejects came out, these characters went from great characters in the movie to iconic characters in horror in general. Absolutely. All right, hey, JL, we got a birthday this week. Yes, we do. We have one birthday this week, and I'm so happy that we get to finally talk about him. Uh, We're going to wish happy birthday to – oh, happy birthday uh, April uh, 8th, 1954. 
the man, the myth, the legend himself. Happy birthday to Kane Hodder. This guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. He's terrorized so many people on screen already. I've been such a fan of Kane Hodder since since uh, Friday Part 7. <laughs> is where, you know, obviously we got to know him. Because we've talked about it before on the podcast that Kane Hodder was the man who gave Jason his voice. And portrayed him in a way that nobody before, in six fucking films, nobody had thought of portraying him in this way. And he brought that to that role, which is, I think, I think is why he got to play Jason four times. And part eight, part nine, and Jason X. Fucking Jason X. This, I I mean, the dude, I got to meet him. I got to start with this story. I got to meet him at Texas Frightmare Weekend. Um, I got him to choke me out. (laughs) <laughs> you know, to to put those those fucking cassava melon hands around around my neck and choke me out is fucking it's fucking cool. I almost passed out. The dude is enormous. It was but, a very sexual experience. <laughs> when I told him, when I told him my love for his work and what he brought to the Friday what he brought to the Friday series and how Seven was one of my favorites, like that, and I was and I kind of like I kind of I, I I definitely nerd boyed out. I, you know, I fangirled. I totally fangirled. And this dude looked me right in the eye and was like, dude, you're fucked up. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and he, and he did not say it jokingly. He was like, wow, dude, you're <laughs> fucked up. I was like, that was a compliment. That was a serious compliment. I will take that compliment. That's high praise. <laughs> yeah. So I will take that from Kane Hodder. But yeah, I've been a giant fan of his. Did you, uh, did you guys know that he was almost uh, cast to be Freddy Krueger? I didn't know that. I feel so, like he'd be too big for that. I always picture Freddy as like a skinny, scrawny piece of shit. Well, this get you because know, it went to Robert Englund, and you know that's what he sold it as. But originally, um, apparently, when when Kane was you know young, um, he he was basically he got started in stunts and just doing stunt work. That was it. And during an interview, he offered to do like to show off a fire stunt to the interviewer. He's like, "You want to see how, how I do this? You want you want to check it out? I'll do it for you." And it apparently went horribly wrong and left him with second and third degree burns over most of his upper body. Mm. And that was like really early in his career. And it was that scarring um, that act- that he that almost got him the role of Freddy Krueger. Oh, wow. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the director looks at him and is like, you'd be a good Freddy Krueger with all those fucking burns on your body. <laughs> you look fucked up. Let's do it this way. <laughs> Let's God, try this. This. Guy, this guy, though. I mean, obviously, you know, playing in the Friday the 13th movies. There's a movie that I came across that I did not know he was in, which is called Victor Crowley. It looks like an indie film by, it looks like Dark Sky. Uh, Dark Sky did this one. And so it's another, like, he's another, you know, masked killer, but he uses a hatchet. Oh, yeah, it's from the Hatchet series. It's, yeah, his, his his next big yeah, one. Yeah, it's like 10 mm-hmm. years after the Hatchet 2 movie, I guess. Yeah, he played, like, what, Victor Crowler, something like that? Victor Crowler, yeah, Crow- Victor, Victor Crowler. Crowler yeah, yeah, that's the movie. It's like the, I guess it's like the origin. But, like, I had I didn't even know about that movie. Apparently it came out in 2017, so I'm like, oh, fuck, I gotta go watch that now. I gotta give I gotta give that. There was some wild fucking kills in there. He was, like, ripping people's heads apart and shit. <laughs> I know he played in Wishmaster, such- too. He did, yeah. That, uh, I always thought that was funny. 
because they tried so hard to make the Wishmaster into a bad, to make the gin into a, we're going to sell this as a real badass. So we got to put Robert Englund, Kane Hodder, and Tony Todd all in the same movie <laughs> and have the, and have the gin whoop all their asses. <laughs> so it's like, was like, that's how you sell a fucking horror icon right there. You have him whoop the shit out of the actors who played the other guys. The other horror icons. <laughs> Although Hodder's was the best. It was like, don't you want to? He's like, don't you want to make a wish? And he was like, I wish you would go away. <laughs> and the dude's like, oh no, oh, no! Fuck. And he's like, walk the fuck off. <laughs> so brilliant. Oh, I'm so glad he got into acting because originally he just wanted to do stunt work, but then you know he was able to fight his way back and get his stunt career back, and then he segued into acting and you know was doing little roles here and there. Uh, he played Leatherface. Hmm. Um, in the 1990s. And, and I think, in, yeah, in, in part three. You know, I think it was uh, Text Chainsaw 3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, he was uh, he was the guy behind the mask. Um, he's a guy who's done so much shit as far as stunts go. I would, God, I would love talking about his stunt work, just, you know, how he got into that and what he does because that's a brutal fucking lifestyle. There, it is. Taking the hits. Like, that, that really is. Like, that's something, you know... It's rough because you, regardless of all the safety precautions that they have on sets and all this other kind of stuff, people still get hurt. People still get killed. Um, and the brunt of that is usually the stuntmen. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know, we were talking about, you know, just, just a, a few minutes earlier how he was doing a fire stunt and it severely scarred him. Kind of thing. It really is. Um, so I was actually doing... I was actually doing a little research, and do you know that he was actually in uh, Devil's Rejects since we were talking about that? Where? He was, uh, he was one of the, he was the, he was the officer with a gas mask on. So, no shit. Yeah, so uh, he's uncredited, but yeah, he was actually in it. Just real quick. That's fucking <laughs> You learn something new every day. <laughs> Just a little throwback, you know? <laughs> you know, if I remember correctly, um, going through, uh, what was it? Uh, I don't know. No, uh, there was, okay, I remember, shit. There was some movie <laughs> that he was in where he played, and for some, why can I not remember it? Um, I think he made... No, he played a an orderly. Was it? I think it was one of the Halloween films. No, maybe I can't remember. He wound up. You know, he he was playing uh, like a like a more like a like an orderly in the morgue, and wound up getting killed by some horror icon. I can't remember who it was. Oh, that was it. That was it. I'm sorry. He was in uh, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. But he was, because he played Jason, and he played an FBI guard in the hospital. That's what I was trying to remember. So he got to play, you know, as himself, and he got to, or he got to play, you know, unmasked, and then he got to play as Jason as well. And then when Jason's heart is jumping, I can't believe I'm going to say this, when Jason's (laughs) heart was jumping around infecting people and turning them into, like, weird uh, possessions, I, I don't fucking know. He got killed by one of the possessed people as himself. So technically, Kane Hodder's Jason killed Kane Hodder. Oh, shit. Which I thought was sweet. <laughs> and then, at the end of the movie, it was Kane Hodder's hand in the in the Freddy Krueger glove that came up through the ground and grabbed the mask. 
today. Yeah. <laughs> he is cool as shit, and I will recommend this not not only for you guys, but I will recommend this to all of our audience as well. Um, he released an autobiography, which is pretty much uh, it. It is really, really it's epic. From his childhood, uh, growing up, you know, on a South Pacific island in the in the middle of nowhere, and all the way to you know you know to current days, he really I think he released it in uh, 2011, um, some time ago, and he's done a ton of films since then. But it's pretty much a breakdown of his 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 uh, how he got into the industry, his fall after his you know, his major accident when he got burned, his fight to get back in, another fall, and then you know. And then still push, you know, pushing and going at it. It is truly an epic Hollywood tale that, you know, given that most of his stuff is stunt work or he's in costume and you don't see his face, you know, because he's so done up by things. He's playing monsters and shit like that. You know, you you almost, if you saw him on the street, you wouldn't recognize him. Unless you are, I mean, this is how it is, I guess, the life of a stuntman. But I highly recommend it. His, um, his autobiography is a, an, an epic fucking read. Check it out for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Got plenty of time to do it now, so. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's called it's, uh, Kane Hodder Unmasked, is the name of it. Sick. So, absolutely cool shit. And such a, I mean, his stunt filmography, uh, damn near as long as his fucking uh, acting filmography. <laughs> Plus, you know, majority of the movies he's acting, he also does stunts. And then, of course, you know, the Friday the Thirteenth game that came out, he provided the the uh, the mocap for it. Yeah, yeah. So he got to be Jason, technically a fifth time, which is pretty badass. Oh, that's so cool. Well, happy birthday to that motherfucker. Happy birthday, Kane Hodder. Ha- you a badass. Happy birthday, Kane. Happy birthday, dude. All right. Well, that closes out another episode of Week in Horror. Well, thank you very much to our listeners. Uh, we know these are trying times. We appreciate you staying with us and uh, checking us out. Hopefully we entertained and informed a little bit, especially to all you filmmakers out there. Definitely we want to hear back from you. Any feedback, comments, questions you you have, hit us back at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Not only do we want to hear your opinions, but Alex desperately needs a friend. So be sure to write him. Directed, you know, directed to Alex. Make him feel good. <laughs> so as always, you can hear us wherever podcasts are available. Anchor, Spotify, our Heart Radio, Apple, Google, you name it, we are there. If you really, really, really like what we do, especially in these trying times, feel free to get, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash horror, where you can get content early. We do our bloodbath debates and we do our after dark with our special guests. And we do those and our Patreons get those early than anybody else. So you can get early content, plus we have more things in the works as we slowly build up, as this production begins to raise in, what would we say, value. <laughs> we'll be able to do way more cool stuff and have a lot more special guests and maybe even do live content. And of course, our Patreons will always have early access to all of that. So we thank our current Patreons, and we hope you might find the, you know, we hope you might enjoy it enough to contribute yourself. Find it in your hearts and, of, and in your pockets. And, of course, uh, check us out on our social media, Facebook.com, and, or Facebook and Twitter, at Weekend Horror. 
you can check those out you follow us there and get access to our daily splatter which is a little bit of horror information every single day to your feed to start your morning off right because everybody needs a little gore in the morning so as always we appreciate oh and yeah yeah and twitter at weekend horror so thank you all so much so much we know you sacrifice a lot we know things are tough right now but we're gonna get through them together and uh until next week i'm jl i'm eugene i'm alex we will see you next week and as always stay scared